Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane. I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. Happy New Year, boys. Happy New Year, boys. I mean, 2024, here we come. Let's kick it off with a bang, right? A little Christmas uh, break action. What do you guys do for Christmas break? Excited to be back and um, any highlights? about you, Willie? You know, I had a great time with the fam. We were in Franklin for Christmas, and then we came to see my family uh, down on St. Simons Island, Georgia, uh, a few days after Christmas for my mom's birthday. I'm down here now, so we've been having a big old time. How was y'all's holiday? It was good. We um, Last year, we were in California for Christmas, just Dow and I and the kids. So this year, we were back home, celebrating with her family on Christmas Eve. Um, and then big morning, Christmas morning. And then we, we actually started a bunch of years ago having a Christmas party. So we have like neighbors and friends and, um, people from quail come over Christmas afternoon because nobody really has a ton to do on Christmas afternoon. So we figured why not? So kids come over adults, uh, it's fun for a few hours and we did that. And then, um, spent a little time. (laughs) You didn't want to, you didn't want to watch the Knicks and the Raptors. (laughs) <laughs> I figured a box score on the ESPN app would be just fine. Um, hey, how many people at that party wore loafers with no socks, nice pair of khakis, and one of those belts with the leather in front and the cloth on the side? You know, it's got the quail logo. Hey, <laughs> either there were some great clubs represented in logos on the sweaters. I mean, we I had bet some, there were. We had some Augusta, some Marion, some Quail Hollow. Yeah. yeah. You know, how, how much is, this is, this is, you know, my traveling team. This is what I do. <laughs> how much is, how much is the country club dress code in Oregon slightly different than Charlotte? <laughs> I don't I know if Quail said South. Um, oh, yeah. What'd you do, Ben? Buddy, I'm going to say highlight was we went to Whitefish, Montana, and we went dog sledding. And it was so fun. I mean, you have to sign up like way in advance because all the spots fill up, whatever. But we had um, eight Huskies pulling us, and we went. Our family went in two different sleds uh, all through the wilderness, and um, it was absolutely incredible. Just had a great time in Whitefish. Skied a little bit. Snow's a little light, but all in all, just great family time. And when our seventeen-year-old CC says about three or four days in. I think this could be our best family vacation ever. We're like, wow, wow. That's we just had such a great time playing cards and just like um, that's cool. Celebrating, you know, that Christ came as a family in a mm. really sweet place that we love. So it was it was a special time for sure. Love that, man. The Crane family can play some games now. <laughs> I'm telling you, we like games, and CC's kind of like sneaking up on like. Um, the best competitor in the games. And I'm like, oh, you know I mean, we played this uh, game called Monopoly Deal. It takes about 15 oh, minutes. Monopoly Deal is a favorite. It's a great game. It's, it's a, a great, great game. game. And um, I think I've played 25 times over the, the last, you know, like <laughs> 10 days. I have zero wins. And, you know, I don't like to win at anything. And <laughs> it just So, hey, real quick, true story. Shout out to my wife. She feels things very strongly, and we were playing with Caitlin and Doug Rose, our friends in Charlotte, and Ben, similar to you, she couldn't win, and I had a bunch of wins, Dougie, Caitlin, everybody had wins. When Dow got her first win, y'all, she got so excited that she started celebrating, and then she started crying because she was so overcome with emotion. 
could be me. It please, might happen. Hey, uh, please tell us if the tears come. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. Uh, that is too good. <laughs> well, boys, we're in 2024. Um, any any resolutions for y'all, on course or off course? What are you? What goals are you setting as we start a new year? So my wife, a few years ago, started this thing where she would pick a word for the year and kind of focus on that and really think about it. So I started doing it. So my word this year is discipline. Um, and, you know, it can play out in small things or big things. Uh, my quiet time, you know, discipline, small things in putting the phone away or um, in golf, just, you know, making my practice a little more uh, focused or whatever it might be. So that's my word for the year. I feel like I got hurt three years ago. And it, it, it took me out of the gym for a little while. It, it limited my ball count on the range. And I feel like that led into me almost justifying being in the gym less and, and practicing less. So I'm excited this year to kind of get back to the grind and, and really, you know, put my head down. Love it. Uh, for me, I think um, on, on the golf side, my goal is to three putt more. And that sounds, <laughs> that sounds crazy. <laughs> but I started going through a lot of the the rounds, and I've kind of just been in the back of my mind keeping track. And the amount of putts <laughs> that I leave like two inches short is like, you know, like like if I just if I increase six inches or a foot of speed on all putts from let's call it ten feet to thirty feet, right? Well, I'm gonna three putt more, and I shouldn't be scared of that. But I'm also gonna make more. So right. <laughs> I told I told Brady and Trevor, the guys I was playing with yesterday, I'm like, yeah, my goal for 2024 is three putt more. And they look at me like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, but I'm gonna make more. Well, in the end, I think I'm gonna make more putts. <laughs> Last time I checked, you're a pretty phenomenal three to five foot uh, putter. So, so you'll be fine. That's, that's, that's that on the golf side. That's the my goal. Um, and, and it helps your mentality because your caddy walking off the green when you three putt can pat you on the back and say, boy, Well yeah. done. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you feel Run good. Your play. It's yeah. a win win. Win win. Yeah. How about you, uh, William? Buddy, I want to uh I want to grow in godliness this year. I've kind of noticed in the um I don't know, five or six years ago, I was very introspective and I was always aware of how I'm doing. And I think to an unhealthy degree. And in the last few years, um, I think I've gotten my eyes off of myself more and onto Christ more, but I've noticed kind of like you in the discipline area, I've been a little bit lazy in some areas just around godly character. And so I just kind of want to tighten the screws and buckle down on putting yeah. sin to death and then trying to cultivate some godly character. Love that. Love yeah. It. Love that. What about 2024 golf? What should we expect on a macro level as we set out on a new year? Um, where's this whole thing going? What are we looking for? What are the big stories in golf? I mean, it seems like we're going to know something here in the next week or two um, with the PIF, but um, I think we're going to, or I think we're going to continue to see young players, um, you know, dominate on the PGA tour from, you know, Victor Hoblin and, you know, Xander Shoffley, these guys, I think we're going to see a lot of great golf. I think we'll see some, some, Guys that have come up through the Corn Ferry uh, win this year. So I think golf's in a really healthy place as far as a competitive standpoint. Um, but we really just don't know what's going to happen with the live golfers. And But it seems like we're going to 
be introducing them back into the PGA Tour in some way. It'll be interesting to see um, how they get back. And then some of the guys who don't have um, existing status, um, how do they make their way back to the PGA Tour? So it'll be, it'll be, I think it'll be an exciting year. Um, I think obviously we're playing for more money than we've ever played for. Um, you know, guys are better athletes. Club head speed's going up. I mean, five years ago, it was probably like 111 miles an hour. And now it's like almost 115 miles an hour. I mean, that's two and a half yards per mile an hour. It's, it, guys are so much longer and better. Um, so it's it's impressive, and we should continue to see more and more of that. Yeah, I agree, Ben, with all that. I think, um, you know, William, you picked this kid a few months ago, Ludwig Aberg, and uh, when Ben and I, I don't think had ever heard of him, as he was a college golfer, and now he's he won the RSM Classic. I think, you know, he could have a monster year, and – even though he's never played in a major, I mean, he's probably going to be one of the uh, few guys to, to beat at the majors. Um, certainly Scotty Scheffler, you know, is he going to continue to be number one in the world and have a ball striking domination year again? Um, and, you know, to Ben's point about live, I read a very interesting article in data golf last night by Michael Letzig, who basically said every golfer who's gone to live in strokes game category, almost every one of them has gotten worse as a golfer. And wow. he says there's a few nuances um, in terms of measuring it, but for the most part, these guys have gone backwards, all of them, Dustin, Cameron Smith, uh, uh, Bryson DeChambeau. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Rom. I mean, I think that's – we all saw it coming. It's going to be hard to be motivated when you've already got your 20, 30, 40, 50, $100 million in the bank and the tournaments aren't counting for world ranking. You know, what's – what's the real motivation for the, the bulk of these players? And I think they're having kind of, he called it a uh, live fever. You know, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling to get better in golf and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what Rom does. And you're just not competing against as many guys. So right. um, it's just not as competitive, obviously, just mathematically speaking. So yep. that's a really, really interesting take. Yeah, if you if you had to bet five hundred of your own dollars, does a live player win a major this year? No, no. Wow. I mean, that's I mean, you got four chances. That's and the competition leading up to it for them is not like it is for the PGA Tour players. So yeah, mathematically, I think I think that's a low chance. Wow. Um. Okay. Well, before we get into kind of the bulk of what we're doing today, we're obviously going to do picks for Maui. Um, but it's the start of a new year. A lot of people are kind of take this time each year to look at their Bible and to set some goals for Bible reading. What are one or two things that have helped y'all? Both of y'all are daily Bible readers. Um, what helps you with that discipline? What advice would you give to somebody as they're kind of setting out on that journey again at the beginning of a year? Mm -hmm. I would say one of the biggest things, um, is to be, um, to set aside a time and set aside a, a place. So if you can get to a certain place at a certain time in your house where you know um, that this is your time to read your Bible, um, and there's nothing more important you could do with your whole life. That's right. Time to be with the Lord. Yeah. So if you find that place in that time, I have a little office off, off the kitchen, try to get up you know, um, before the, before the kids. Um, but no matter what, this is the place I start my day, no matter what time it is. And I spend time, uh, in a book and I also do it in community. Um, and so if you, you know, have 
um, maybe some guys that you're reading with or something like that, but having a plan um, to read. Certainly, it's incredible to go to the Word in any way, um, but I, I love going to it with a plan. Um, so um, right now I'm in, I spend about three days in each chapter, so right now I'm in Philippians. Um, but so having a, a plan that you can stick to, um, being in community about it at some level, um, and then having a place and a time, I think has um, been really, really important for me. Yeah, I love that. I, I wouldn't change any of that. I, I might add, for me personally, um, I think we all need help. Uh, and so whether that's a mentor doing it with you or in community, like Ben said, um, I personally love uh, some commentaries. And so if I'm if I'm studying a book, I love a, a commentary. And it doesn't have to be you know a big bulky commentary where it's very choppy and stopping on every word of every verse. It could be more of a preaching commentary and um, a series I've loved over the years is called Preaching the Word series and a bunch of different authors, but each bit of scripture that you read that day is in conjunction with a chapter of the commentary. And it, the chapter might take you 12 to 15 minutes, but you really are taking a deep dive into a few verses. And some of my richest quiet times I feel like over the years have been um, slowly studying the book of the Bible with uh, a commentary. So that's been helpful. But I love, I love Ben's idea of a time and a place. I mean, if you have a place, you'll find yourself starting to be excited about it the night before. Can't wait to get in my chair. Can't wait to get to my couch, get a, co- get a cup of coffee, whatever it is, and get into the word. Oh yeah. Y'all Weber will work that cup of coffee in the morning. <laughs> you better believe he's got a heated mug, a temperature heated mug. Ember for that call. Shout Ember. out to Ember. Yeah. It's gonna be a pour over and it's gonna be a skin <laughs> Seriously. That's right. All you right. Also boys. get a Bible that you love. You know, like um William turned me on to the uh, ESV student Bible and it has just enough um study notes at the bottom. It's the study Bibles are incredible, but they can be a little too much for me at sometimes. And so I love just kind of reading along um, in my Bible, just with those, those footnotes and, um, you know, just getting a little perspective from um, the ESV guys on, you know, what it is that's going on in the text. Mm-hmm. So that's super helpful to me. So I love the ESV. Um, we call it the extra spiritual version, the English standard version, because <laughs> it's a more of a word for word translation than a, than a thought for thought. So it's really, really nice to be able to slow down. That's what we read on this podcast as well. Yep. Great advice, boys. Love um, that. All right. Picks Maui. We got the first tournament of the year. Who are you going with? Web honor goes to you. Remember you can only pick people once if it's not a major. Yeah. So pick wisely. All right. Um, I'm going to go Jordan Spieth. Ooh, using him early. Yeah, he likes Maui. You don't have to hit it straight. Sorry, Jordan. <laughs> he, Jordan makes a lot of putts. Uh, you want me to go, Ben? You go. I don't even know who's in the field. Yeah, of, of course you don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a big fan. I'll, uh, I'll go Sung J.M. Okay. Oh I mean, he's a safe bet any week, not because he's great, but because he plays every week. He plays a lot of weeks. <laughs> yep. All right. Who's William? Help me. Who's super long and but excels with the putter? Who's Ludwig. who doesn't? Who's not in the top five in the world? Um, Hideki's in there. Ludwig Aberg. You you don't know. You don't want to use him early. Um, That's true. Super long, excels with a putter, 
Gosh, I'm looking at the field right the now. The greens there have so much slope to them and so much grain. You got to be pretty dialed with the putter. You could pick Sam Burns again. I feel like you picked him eight times last year. <laughs> Just start with Sam. He's a great Just start okay, with I, Sam I Burns. Start with Sam. He's, he's yeah, my boy. It feels I mean, right. Shout out to Sam, Sam Burns. Okay. All right. Well, we bantered for too long, and we are starting a new series today. We're doing something that we have not done yet on the podcast. We're going to study all the way through a book of the Bible. So over the next 14 or 15 weeks, we're going to walk verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And there's a few reasons we want to do this. First, there's hardly a better skill than anyone can learn than reading the Bible. Um, the best way to acquire that skill is just to go slowly through a book. Secondly, going through a book of the Bible verse by verse ensures that we look at everything God says, not just the parts we like, which is sadly how a lot of folks view the Bible in 2024. And then last, going through Ephesians in particular, is a great step, uh, next step for us based on where we've been. We started this whole thing by looking at who Jesus is and what he taught and what he claimed and what he did and why he died. Um, and then we looked at what that means for our identity. Um, because of what Christ has done, we can be justified and redeemed and reconciled and adopted and made new and all these wonderful things. That's who we are. The book of Ephesians is going to hammer home some of those realities we've already looked at, but it's also going to tell us how we can live in response to those realities. So as we start this new year, we're excited to slowly go through the book of Ephesians together. And our plan today is just to get our feet wet. We just want to get acclimated a little bit with this book. So we're going to look at the first two verses of Ephesians, which will introduce us both to the author and to the audience. Um, and it's going to give us a little idea of what to expect. So, Webb, if you'll pray for our time, uh, even just with intros, we need God's help. And Absolutely. Ben, then you can read the first two verses for us. Lord, thank you for a new year, a new day, a new podcast. Um, and we're getting into no new book. Lord, this book is history. It is from you, Lord. You've spoken through these men who have written this book. And Lord, it's special for me. Uh, William and I, we've been to Ephesus. We've walked through this town where this book was written or this, this church was established that Paul wrote this letter to. And so it's just exciting to, to dive in and to see what you want us to see from it. And Lord, we pray that it wouldn't fall on deaf ears, um, that we would hear it, apply it, that it would change us, Lord. It's the only book that can truly give us the change that we need. So we pray. We thank you for the listeners. Uh, we pray that you will meet them in their place in jesus name amen amen hey william um 2024 bible reading when you said yeah you know they kind of take the pieces they like i'm like i can do all things through christ who strengthens me i can make so many threes you should see how many threes i can make i can make it rain through christ <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Okay. Um, how, how quick and efficient was that reading? Very. Spot on. <laughs> that's, that's the shortest we've had. New start. Um, all right, so guys, when we set out to study a book of the Bible or a passage in the Bible, if we're going to rightly understand it, the first thing we need to do is a little background work. Mm -hmm. We need to understand the context in which it was written. So what kind of writing are we talking about? Who's writing? Who's he writing to? Why is he writing? 
Um, even though God himself is the capital A author of the Bible, it's still a book that was written by real people to other real people at real times in real places with real issues going on. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to understand what it's saying, if we're going to be successful in applying it to our own lives, we first got to understand its original meaning. What's the original author saying to the original audience? Mm-hmm. So let's do a little exercise to show the importance of context. If we're watching a golf tournament and one of you said, Scotty Scheffler is on fire, what would that likely mean? It means his ball striking is even more elite than it normally is. And then he's hitting it closer to the pin than he normally does. And we know that Sky Scheffler is one of the most gifted ball strikers that's ever ever lived. So we'd yep. be like, he is doing it at a more elite level than he even normally does it. Yes. yes. He's making birdies. He's beating up on everybody. The guy is on fire, right? Yep. Um, if somebody from the Middle East 500 years ago read the words, <laughs> Scotty, Scotty Scheffler is on fire, what would they think? There's some guy named Scott who's actually burning to death. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Here's the point. Context really matters, right? We're we're 2,000 years and a half a world removed from the biblical writers. Mm -hmm. So understanding who's writing and what they're saying and how language is used, um, it it matters a great deal. So, and and the place to start is with genre. Now, probably y'all are like, dude, we should not be talking about genre in this podcast, right? (laughs) Back, back again to no laying up. But, um, if I said to you, or or if you were picking up a book to read and it started once upon a time, what kind of literature would you be reading? A story. Story, right? Yep. If, if you opened a letter, Ben, or opened some envelope and it said, dear Ben, what would you be reading? A letter that's written to me. Yes. Okay. If we opened up to the book Song of Solomon and we saw the words, rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a a graceful doe, (laughs) what kind of literature are we talking about? Poetry. Poetry. All right. Are we really thinking that Solomon was married to a a deer? No, no. (laughs) Okay. So the Bible's filled with all kinds of, of different literature, right? History, prophecy, poetry biography, letters, on and on. When we come to Ephesians, first things first, just getting our feet on the ground, what kind of literature are we talking about? It's a letter. It's a letter. It's a letter Paul wrote to a group of people. Exactly. And we get to listen in on that letter. So when you open Ephesians, you're reading a letter written by a man to a group of people. And then here's what's really cool and why it's relevant for us. The things that are written in that letter are as true for us as they were for the original recipients. Amen. That is huge. So we got this letter being written, and Webb already helped us with the author of the letter. If you're going to understand the letter, you need to know who wrote it. Okay, so who wrote the letter? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, right? That's what we see right there in verse 1. And and Um, real quick, um, why do you know that – what scripture are you using to help us understand that this this letter is just – is that applicable to us as it is to them? Yeah, great question. <clears throat> so there are different 
times in what we would call redemptive history. That's just a big fancy name for what God has been doing over the scope of history in the world. And there are things that happened before Jesus came that don't directly relate to us. We weren't, we're not citizens, for instance, of the nation of Israel. And so certain laws that were applicable to them are no longer applicable to us. But in this New Testament age, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are brought into this new covenant community. We are brought into the people of God, Jew and Gentile alike, and we are now under the rule of God. So the same rules that applied to the Ephesians, they apply to us. Um, so what we see in the book of Ephesians, we get to apply directly to our own spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Um, great question, Ben. Mm-hmm. So Paul's the author, and here's the cool thing. When we if you open this book and you're brand new to it and you see Paul, your first question might be, what? Who's Paul? Who's Paul? Okay, here's the cool thing about the Bible. Um, the Bible often answers our questions, mm-hmm. right? And so if we flip over to the book of Acts, we're going to be able to learn a great deal about this guy, Paul. So can either of you guys think of where we're first introduced to Paul in the Bible? I can't think well, of the place, but when the Christians following the way were getting persecuted. Yes. Yeah, getting persecuted by Paul, Acts chapter 7, where he's literally pulling Christians um, away and persecuting them, um, basically saying that their um, their God is not a God of, um, of reality. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, so here's what's happened after Jesus died and rose and ascended to heaven the number of believers grew rapidly, okay? And it was mostly focused right there in Israel, especially in Jerusalem. So the number of believers is growing. um, And as they grew, they also gained opposition. And all this comes to a head in Acts chapter seven, when a guy named Stephen, he's the first Christian martyr, he's killed for his faith in Christ. And so one of you boys pick up in Acts 7, 58, and then we'll read also 8, 1 through 3. And I want you to listen out for a reference to Paul, who's here called Saul. He's called here by his Jewish name. What do we see in those verses? Okay, uh, Acts 7, 58 through 8, 1 through 3. Yep. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Okay, so what's the before picture of the Apostle Paul? Just a animal when it came to uh, going after these people who were falling away, not just men, but women as well. And he was so zealous to do what he thought was right in his eyes that he stopped at no cost. Yes. He was just trying to take out Christians, right? Terrorists might be too strong of a word, but he is ravaging the church. Yeah. And he, he describes it himself in Galatians 1, 13 and 14. Um, one of you boys look at that. How does he describe his former life? 
You have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and how I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous that I was for the traditions of my fathers. So he's just like, he's so high up, so high up in Judaism, and he is thinking that he is just honoring his God by doing these things because he's been called by God to do it. Mm. Yes. Yes. He, he describes himself in first Timothy one as an insolent opponent. He is mm-hmm. against the church. Okay. But then something happens, right? And we know this from Acts nine. Um, one of you boys read Acts nine, one to six, and let's see what happened to our boy, Paul. But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Okay, so how would you guys describe what happened right here? I mean, Paul is going along his way, running his play, thinking he's doing God's work. And Jesus Christ appears to him and shines upon him in the brightest light and literally like strikes him in a way that only God can and wakes him up to know that the one who he's who's speaking to him is Jesus Christ, the one he's been persecuting and changes his entire life. And that's the person who is going to be writing this book to us. He is <laughs> radical conversion. Yes. Yep. And, and we looked at this back in uh, the, did Jesus really rise from the dead episode? But one of the very many historical realities that you have to grapple with when trying to explain away the resurrection is what about Paul? How right. does he go from a terrorist to a missionary? Yep. And the only explanation is that he had a real encounter with the resurrected Christ. That's right. right? That's right. So hey, that's real the, quick. Yeah. Just, you know, for the, it made me think of it in your intro when people like to pick bits and pieces of the Bible that they like. And I think it's a, a fairly common new age thought. Like I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. And I think this is just another of the many examples in scripture he says, Saul, Saul, he doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church or my followers? He says, why are you persecuting me? And so he identifies himself with the church. And so Jesus loves the church. It's his bride. His church, mm-hmm. yes, is made up of people, but find yourself a good church, people. It, it, he wants you to be in a good church. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well said, buddy. Um, so that's the day our boy Paul becomes a Christian, and he doesn't simply become a Christian. God had big, big plans for, for Paul. So go down to verse 15 there in Acts 9. And what are we told about Paul's purpose going forward? But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Yes. So God has a serious mission for Paul's life. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is God's chosen instrument to take Jesus to the Gentiles, to the nations of the world. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we see unfolding in Paul's life in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And it's just what Paul, how Paul introduces himself in Ephesians 1.1. So after Paul says his name, how does he describe himself back there in Ephesians 1.1? An apostle of Christ Jesus. 
Yes, an apostle of Christ Jesus. What's an mm-hmm. apostle? Apostle is the disciple, someone who's committed to make um, the name of Jesus known. Okay, good. Yeah, it, apostle just means sent one. Um, so in a sense, it's someone who's sent on mission for Jesus, but it's also an official office that we see in the New Testament. A, a mm-hmm. specifically called man who is an eyewitness of Jesus Christ, who is sent by him with God-given authority to speak on his behalf. Mm. And Paul is sent with that authority, officially commissioned by Christ himself, to take the good news about Jesus to the nations, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, as he says elsewhere. And that's just what Paul did. So if you were to keep reading in the book of Acts, here's what you would see. This guy starts going on these different missionary journeys. He goes on three missionary journeys over the course of 30 some odd years, and he keeps taking the good news about Jesus further and further west. He wants to get the gospel to the the entire known world. And when we get to Acts 19, we see Paul take this good news of Jesus to Ephesus, Mm. right? And that's just who he's writing this letter to. So now let's read that second half of verse one. Who's he writing to? He's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Okay, so let's refresh on this term saints. We looked at this in episode 46. What's a saint? A Christian, someone who believes in Jesus. Yes. It just means set, of their sin. That's exactly right. It just means set apart. Somebody who's set apart. Somebody who's been made holy by God. So it's kind of contrary to Catholic teaching. Um, saint is not a term for the varsity level Christians. Saint is a term for anybody who puts their faith in Christ. And so Paul's writing to the Christians who are in Ephesus. Mm-hmm. Now, Weber, you said in your prayer that you and I've gotten to go to Ephesus. Um, what do we know about that city? Where is it? What do we know about it? Um, it's a, it's a port city in, is it modern day Turkey? Yep. Southwest um, Turkey. Yep. Uh, and um, that's about all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's a city that they're, they're worshiping idols and false gods, pagan worship everywhere. So this is, um, you're not going into, you're not preaching to the choir, let's just say. Paul's not when, he, right. when he's going into Ephesus. Totally. Bustling city, big business, and their big business is, is pagan worship, right? So it's the home of Artemis. Uh, this goddess that brought in all kinds of business and commerce um, from that region. Um, and so Paul gets there, and you can read about this in Acts 19, and there's there's about 12 Christians there. And he stays there for a couple years, and he just starts teaching. Now, uh, all this happens mid-50s AD, 53, 54, 55 AD. And Paul's ministry is so effective there that at one point, a number of the people who are involved in the big business of the magic arts and God and goddess worship, they repent and they divulge their practices and they give up their businesses. Now, how do you think that went over with the rest of the group there who's still trying to make money off the goddess Artemis? Not too good. Not too good. This is their income. This is the way they've been supporting their families and... It's been working for them, and now everything is up in arms. They don't know who they are, and they don't know what to do. And when you start poking at that, you're going to get some anger. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. And even though God and goddess worship and magic arts can seem far away, 
Uh, when you start poking at somebody's pocketbook, it's pretty relatable. Yeah. And so Jesus becomes a threat to them and riot breaks out and they, they run Paul out of the city. Mm. Okay. So um, that was mid fifties. Okay. Roughly 55 BC. And now Paul, by the time of his writing in the early sixties AD, it had been about five to seven years since he'd seen these people. And uh, any idea where he's writing this from? He was writing from a prison cell in Rome. Yes. So Paul had been um, arrested. He, his life really was, he went from the one chasing people to the one being chased. And so mm. now, long story short, he's in prison in Rome and his busy life of missionary ventures and planting churches and making disciples had slowed down. And he's got this opportunity to write a letter to these people that he's carried on his heart for so long. And so he writes them to remind them of the grace of God to them and to instruct them how they should walk out their Christian life in light of that grace. Hmm. And, and this concept comes through really clearly in Paul's greeting in verse two. What's, what's he say? How's he greet grace them? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Okay. So even though this is a standard greeting from Paul, it actually helps us know a little bit what to expect in this letter. So these two concepts of grace and peace, they're going to come through really strong in the book of Ephesians. Let's, let's just review. What's grace? Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Yes. Giving us what we don't deserve. God's unstoppable love and generosity and kindness to us who don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. Constantly. Real, yes. Boys, what difference has grace made in your life? It's the biggest difference. Um, when you experience grace, you want to step forward into the light because you know of a glad welcome by our Lord. That's right. When you are not going to experience grace. You don't want to step forward. You don't want to walk with God. You want to push away. But when you actually know God and know that he is full of grace, you just, you literally, you can't wait to come to it. Yeah, mm. that's right. That's well said. Yeah. I mean, yes. I have, I have a son and I think about it often through him, like how in the world could I ever give him up to die? You know, this is such a bad example, but to die for people that don't want his grace. And God did that for us. He gave his son, his perfect son, um, for us. And it, the, the love that he has for us in thinking through what he did for us, um, it just, it melts me. And uh, just, it honestly makes me so happy to know that I don't have his grace one time. I have it every day. Like I get mm. so many things every day I don't deserve. Mm. And that's what we can expect from God. We're going to see that in this letter, this generous, loving, kind disposition from God aimed mm -hmm. at us. Yeah. Um, what about peace? What's peace? I think peace is something that if everyone were honest on planet Earth, they all want it. Um, I think it's knowing that our greatest problem has been solved. Um, that makes me sleep well at night. Now, this world, Jesus says, you're going to have troubles. Like the world is filled with troubles for sure. But he doesn't promise to take the troubles away. He promises us to be with us through the troubles. And so I think of it as an anchor through the storm. Um, 
even though life can become very hard and mysterious and it doesn't make sense, we can still have peace through those tough times. Um, and that peace, it doesn't come from a good paycheck. It doesn't come from success on the golf course. It doesn't come even from a relationship here on earth. It comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ and the peace that he gives. And um, his peace is unmatched. And I love the way you said that. Um, and in verse two, it says, grace to you and peace. And then the next word is from mm-hmm. God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when our peace is from God, you know, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, right? And when when we have peace with God, we can have relationship with God. And yeah. that's only possible through what Jesus Christ has done for us. So having peace is is everything. It, 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 it's it, what brings us into His presence, His yeah, grace, yes. and His peace. Good. And we're going to see... There's a vertical element here. We have peace with God. His hostility has been removed through the cross. We're going to see in chapter two that through Christ, we have peace with each other. Mm -hmm. Hostility has been broken down between people who were once rivals. And then we get that peace within, too, that you guys are describing all through the work of Christ. We can expect that in this book. Mm -hmm. Um, So grace and peace, uh, they come to us from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Um, and we're going to see both of those things in this book. Now, one more thing before we close. A uh, question for you guys. When you guys go on a vacation or you're planning a vacation, um, what do you do before you get there? In those days and weeks and months leading up, what do you do when you're thinking about that vacation? Uh, you plan it. You get an itinerary. You kind of map it all out. You talk with your wife. You figure out what is best for the kids and you just you get a real high level look at what you're going to be doing. Yes. Okay. So I want to just do that quickly with the book of Ephesians, so that we know what to expect starting next week. Um, so first things first, the letter breaks up really cleanly into two parts. First part is doctrinal. It tells us what God has done for us in Christ. It's good news. It it gives us fancy word indicatives, things that are already true for us who believe. Um, and so what are some things that we'll see, fellas, in these first three chapters, Ephesians 1 to 3? Just throw them out rapid fire. What are we going to see? Chosen, adopted, um, um, we're going to be made alive through Christ. We have peace with God. We have peace with others. We have access to God. Yes. Filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got this glorious inheritance. We're going to see all these things. Friend, if you are in Christ, all this is true for you. That's right. And if you're not yet in Christ, this can be true for you. So if you're listening to this driving down the road or hitting balls or on a walk, you can have access to every spiritual blessing in Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's being offered in the first three chapters. I I love where he says, you can be blameless before him in love, predestined, um, you know, for us to be adopted in him. It's like, gosh, that's the biggest deal in the whole world. Yes. Oh, yeah. We're about to climb some Mount Everest of goodness <laughs> coming up. Um, okay, so that's what we're going to see in the first three chapters, what God has done for us in Christ, right? The second half of the book moves from doctrinal to much more practical. It tells us how we ought to respond to God's grace and peace that is now ours. It instructs mm. us how we can live Christian lives that are worthy of the calling we've received. So mm-hmm. it's full of fancy word imperatives, which are just instructions for the Christian life. Uh, so what are some things we'll see in chapters four to six? Some of the best stuff we have on marriage, some of the best stuff we have on how we live um, in community with each other, at mm-hmm. peace with each other. 
um, and how we relate to each other, how we go through conflict. Like it's mm-hmm. just full of just truths that, that help us live out the Christian life in a way that um, blesses ourselves, but it blesses the others and the people around mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Instructions yes. for uh, sexuality, marriage, for spiritual warfare, for sharing Christ with others. And William, I love how, I mean, you've already explained it, but I love how we see these themes in the Bible, uh, but God, uh, God loved you first. Um, You know, we're told so many times that his love comes before, okay, how are we supposed to live now? And chapter four starts with, I, Paul, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So like, it's never, hey, do all these things and maybe you'll be good enough. No, we've been preaching on this podcast. We can't be good enough. He came down the mountain to us, right? So the good news of God is what draws us in, as Ben, you said earlier. Yes. And I, dude, I could not agree more. I'm so glad you said that. This book lays out the proper order of operations in the Christian life, mm-hmm. right? God yeah. loved us. Now we respond. Yep. That, that's how it works. That's right. Um so those are some things we can expect in the book of Ephesians. Three chapters of rich truths about God's generous grace aimed at us, and then three chapters of how we ought to respond to that grace in our lives. So that's that's where we're going the next 14 or 15 weeks. Um, fellas, any encouragement that you guys would give to our listeners as we start a new book or a new year, um, how would you push us into this new year of study? What we say at the end of every Bible Caddy podcast Let's get into the word and let the word get into us, right? And what that what we're saying, what that means is as we get into the word, God's love letter to us, and as we're studying this book, it's going to get into us. And as we experience mm-hmm. its truth, it's going to absolutely transform us into mm-hmm. these this new creation that, that Christ makes us by his um, love for us and his sacrifice for us. And so I just... This is an invitation. Um, let's just get into the word like this in a way that that um, we allow God to do what only he can do. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you've got questions about Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. You can follow us on all the socials under the handle at Bible Caddy. We'll be back next week looking at Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Until then, let's get into the word and let the word get into us.